Podcast Revolution Network presents The Way with Noah. Greetings and welcome to another edition with The Way with Anoa. It is May 8th. We are exactly two weeks from the Georgia primary here and early voting is going on right now. Up next, I have an interview with Tamara johnson Sheely, who is running for Georgia State Senate District 40. Tamara and I talked a while back um, and we, we had a really thorough conversation, not just about her race and how things are going on the ground and issues that matter to her in the community, but also about the issue of race overall in the state and in the Georgia Democratic political uh, machine, so to speak. So we have to have these uncomfortable conversations. And Tamara actually does a live stream on her page um, with an older gentleman and they, they, they break it down and chop it up, which is pretty cool. You should check it out. Um, but we, we have to break through these uncomfortable conversations. No, you know, we don't have exclusively black spaces. And I, I, I one of my pet peeves when people say, well, so-and-so isn't running to be, you know, the president of black America. You know, I mean, like people used to say about, um, about President Obama. However, that does not mean that we don't actually engage and address the vestiges of, you know, um, white controlled power and even we have black faces in high places there's still you know particular elites that are behind them right when we look at some of our more recent leaders and and and, and even when we look at you know what's going on in the state level we look at the lack of attention that is going on um in the secretary of state race where one person is presumptively it despite his really bad politics and having really qualified um opponents who happen to be black um, so there, there, there's a lot of it, you know, other people are mentioning it in, in their other races, but there we, we, we're not going to be able to break through and challenge this belief that black candidates, and in this instance, particularly black women with natural hair, can't win unless there's some other stamp of whiteness on them. This does not mean that we don't talk to white voters. It doesn't mean that white voters and white electeds are bad. Not at all. But there's a conversation because there's a double standard that's being applied and we have to address it. We have to work on it because we're not going to build better politics. It doesn't matter whether you see yourself as being on the inside of the Democratic Party and being a real Democrat, a true progressive within those spaces, or if you're existing in other spaces outside that are are more independent, progressive leaning, that are trying to organize and build better political engagement. Doesn't matter where you fall, doesn't matter where you sit. We do need to do better overall in having these conversations and addressing these issues. So check out our interview. Please like and share. Peace. Good evening. How are you? I am wonderful, Noah. How are you? I am doing well. Thank you so much for making time for me. Um, I know you are super busy doing many, many things, wearing many hats. So I really appreciate you. Absolutely. I appreciate you uh, taking the time out for me as well. Um, so I'm just going to get right into it. We have a busy election cycle. Primaries are underway here in Georgia. You recently qualified for uh, the race in Senate District 40, I believe. 
Yes, Senate District, 4, Senate District 40 is all of North DeKalb. Um, it's Dunwoody, Doraville, Brookhaven, Shambly, a little bit of the Tucker North Lake area. It is Peachtree Corners over in Gwinnett, and it is uh, Sandy Springs over in Fulton. Okay, okay. And so this is not your first time running. You've run okay. previously, right? Yes. So this is actually my third run for Senate District 40. Um, yeah, so in um, 2014, I ran for the very first time and garnered uh, 37%. Ran again in 2016, 43.8%. So this time, I am only 7% away. Okay, okay, okay. So when you were running before, did you have primary challengers? I did. Uh, in 2014, I did have a primary and won that primary. In 2016, I did not. And this time, I do again. Okay. So in thinking about 2014 to now and the primary process, what are, what if anything is different? I know now everyone's like really urgent and trying to get out there and oh my God, you know, Republicans and Trump are bad, but, but what if anything have you noticed, you know, across your time in running, um, if anything stands out to you that's different now than maybe when you ran back in 2014? Um, I think what's different is this time around, people are more energized. They're, they're, they're ready. They're, you know, people are paying attention to what's happening politically because we're all feeling it. Um, but in 2014, I, it was, it was, it was not the same kind of energy in 2014 at all. Yeah. You're so tenacious. I love it. Um, what are some of the major issues that you're looking at in your campaign or that, um, that that constituents have said are, you know, primary areas of concern for the district? Um, I think we all as Democrats um, have the same concerns about health care and education and, and transportation. But my platform, I've actually taken it a, a, some steps further. Um, the district is is divided. Um, and when I say divided, um, the demographics on the northern side of the district where my where I am more fluent, um, predominantly white. The southern part of DeKalb County, which is the majority of my district, is um, less affluent, um, more people of color. And what we're seeing with, what I'm seeing with my race is that we need to address issues that affect all of us, in all of us, in, particularly in DeKalb County and all of us in Georgia. I'm not so... I think that the legislator, well, I know the legislator that is in office now is has been only concerned about his district and what's best for his district at the expense of, I believe, the rest of the Cab County and the rest of in uh, the rest of Georgia. And and like, I mean, I like when you're saying about, you know, recognizing that there is, you know, a difference or in some areas there are disparities and that we need to do better in terms of bridging the gap and really representing all people across issues that matter to, you know, workers and families and communities. Like, so how do you how do you see representing, you know, a district that does have so many differing aspects or areas to it? I believe that my district is ready for something different. I think they realize with, with this new Trump administration, I, I'm finding more people that are woke. <laughs> more people are aware that, you know, this isn't right. And we do need to do things a little differently. So I'm really hopeful that I will um, attract those people and those people will be attracted to my platform. And we can really bring some real positive change for the, our, for the district and all of Georgia. 
It's so much happening right now in Georgia, and I want to focus on your race, but there have been some issues that you've been touching on that have been occurring, you know, across this primary process so far. I mean, you know, it's, you know, campaign season is like for real, for real under the way now that, uh, 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 that people have qualified for, you know, their various races, but there have been several issues that you've been talking about that aren't just happening to you and your race, but that really seem to be happening across the board in this state. Um, as a, as a rise, as, as a, as a leader, as someone who is working hard to get to, you know, the capital to represent not just your district, but all of Georgia, how do you face dealing with some of these internal issues that are arising within our, our politics amongst Democrats while still trying to challenge what we're getting thrown at us from the other side? Uh, I think that we have to address this part first. I mean, I think that's the beauty of having a primary because we as Democrats, we need to hash it out. We need to hash it out. We need to bring it out. And we need to I actually started a Facebook page called Acknowledge the Divide. We have to acknowledge that this beast exists. And Georgia is a unique animal. I'm born and raised um, here in Georgia. So for those that are that are not native to Georgia, coming here is different. But I have lived this all of my life. And racism is real. Racism and race relations, it's, it's a real problem in Georgia. And we have to acknowledge it. We have to acknowledge it, acknowledge that it's at the root of the policies that, that we, we have here that, that need to change. We have to acknowledge it. And we have to have those, those tough conversations, those hard conversations. And I'm using my platform to do that. You know, at the end of the day, that's what this primary should be about is Democrats really getting to the core of who we are and, and making, you know, being better, being better, being better. I, I mean, I appreciate that because some people will get caught up in, oh, my God, you're being divisive. If you point out that this issue is happening or you've actually had several conversations that you've um, you've done live streams to talk specifically about race and, and matters of race within Democratic politics. And I commend you because for so many folks, the notion is that, you know, especially if you're a black candidate, you know, you can't really rock the boat or anything if you want to get the support. Right. Or, mm-hmm. or somehow if owning your truth will, will, will chase the good white people away. And and yes. I've said to people that it's I get it's uncomfortable. But if we're really about lifting up everyone and coming together, we have to work through this, not just ignore it. Exactly. And you know what? I'm encouraged by some of the the white people that are like, like I say, I say they're woke. Like they want to have these conversations. I've actually done three um, um, converse, coffees and conversations. Actually, I'm doing my third one um, on the 24th of this month and where we actually sit down and we talk about the race issues inside of the of, of the Democratic Party and, and race relations here in Georgia. And you would be surprised how many white people want to have this conversation. They want to have it. A lot of them are afraid to have it. A lot of them don't want to admit it, but then it becomes the responsibility of those that will have this conversation with us. It becomes their responsibility to go back and have the conversation with other white people that won't. So I throw the ball in their court. Like, so when I have these conversations, it's about you understanding where I am. Now you go back and you tell other white people. That's one thing that I appreciate so much for some of the different people that I've been starting to interact with here. Because I'm, I'm, you're right about Georgia being a foreign, a foreign place. If you're not from it, like I'm not from here. I've been here. I've been here what four years now. I've been here, 
And and before that, I was living in West Virginia, another foreign place, if you're not from there, and I'm not from there either. But, you know, they're both places where I've gotten to really meet people. Um, while it, it, it does take a while to get in where you fit in, it's still, though, when you meet people, though, people are really engaging and informative and willing to share information for the most part. But what you're saying, though, I think is exactly right. Like, you got to take a step back and just watch kind of the different players and the way things unfold to get a real understanding for what's happening. And I, I appreciate, though, that you're willing to lead conversations to engage or moderate conversations because otherwise we end up in situations where people are in hushed corners at parties, right? You know, talking behind people's back and other, we've, we've heard anecdotes, um, not just about your race, but, you know, across the board of things that happen, whisper campaigns, just all types of stuff that really actually undermine. It's one thing to be competitive in a democratic yes. process, right? But it's yeah. another thing to undermine the integrity of another candidate and their values, and, yeah. and unfortunately, I see that happening quite a bit, particularly when we have black women or a black candidate, you know, black man who is running. But I often see this happening with black women. There really seems to be like there there's, it seems like some some people just have a moral imperative to undermine us in what we're doing. Not not saying that that's, you know, anyone specific is doing that. Well, actually, there's some people I might say are doing that, but not not anything indirectly in terms of your campaign. But I'm just saying, like, just thinking about just in general, when we're in these spaces and being so bold with our messaging, right? That yes. that we run into these challenges. Yes, yes, we do. But you know what? We have to keep talking, and we just have to keep talking. We have to keep talking. I'm not going to be quiet. I'm not going to not talk about it because it's like an elephant in the room, and I'm not going to not talk about it. There's an elephant in the room, <laughs> and we should talk about it. We need to address it. Let's let's address it so that we can get beyond this divide. So that we can win races. Like ultimately, it's about all of us winning in the end. It's about creating. Um, David and I have a, a co-host that uh, does a lot of Facebook lives with me, and he's I call him my friend David. Um, and he and I talk about this all the time. And we have to create. We have to show people what solidarity is and what it looks like. And you know, when we start working together as a people, as a nation, I mean, we can do so much good. But you know, we got to get beyond this this racism and these. We we have to, and we have to talk about it. And you and I feel like a lot of white people don't know who we are as in as a people and get to know me. You might like a lot of things about me if you get to know me. <laughs> you might like a lot of things about me if you get to know me. But that's like so true. And 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 when we put up walls, when we put up barriers and we don't get to know you. So let's get to know you. Um, I'm sure many people in your district already know you, but but from for my audience, like tell us just a little bit about yourself and your background and what's motivating you to run. Yeah, I come from the beauty and barber industry. Um, I actually was a salon owner for 10 years. I actually did services for 18. And so I come from an industry where, you know, I, my goal and my job was to make you beautiful. My job was to make you comfortable, make you happy and give you an, 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 an experience. You know, that was my job and make, make sure you were safe while I was providing that service. So what I the, the reason I got into politics was because I started watching my industry politically and I realized that politics was not just in my industry. I started watching my community. I started watching the district then I started watching the state and I realized the impact that every everything was political. And I started I was um, we were working on some legislation because I'm the senior advocate of politics, beauty and barber, which is a two in one organization. 
that addresses um, legislation, first of all, that affects the, in, the beauty and barber industry nationwide. But, but we, I'm also the president of the Concerned Beauty and Barber Professionals, where we address the health, safety, and sanitation standards for the entire industry. So, you know, watching that and we were actually working on some legislation and, you know, I started just getting engaged politically. And then I saw that my district needed representation and I saw how the, he was the divisive, you know, the, the senator he is. That is who he is. And that's how he legislates. And that's how he, he, he he's not a nice person. He's just awful. And I was, and nobody would run against him. So in 2014, a no-name candidate like myself, I jump into this race. You know, I win my primary, but I did not win the general election. But to get 37%, no one had ever come that close to him ever. So that gave me some a lot of momentum, like, okay, I can do this again. So I ran again in 2016, no primary, but I lost the general again with 43.8%. And this time I am only 7% away, so close. And to have a primary this time that doesn't feel like it's, you know, a, the right kind of primary. You know, I appreciate competition. I understand that, you know, this is what the, this is what, the, this is democracy. I, I appreciate it and I'm ready to compete. But when you have the party, parts of the, the Democratic Party that are, you know, getting behind a candidate, I don't think that's fair. And that's what's happening in my race. So, and I'm, I'm not very happy about what's happening now, but I feel like I'm, a, I'm I know I'm a strong candidate. Um, I've, I've paved my way. I've been, you know, pounding the pavement in this district for years. So I feel very confident that I will prevail, but it's a different kind of battle this time with this new Trump administration. And, you know, I'm, I'm very vocal about race and racism and race relations. It's just a different kind of campaign this time, but I'm ready. I'm, I'm equipped. I'm ready. I'm prepared. So bring it on. <laughs> I love it. I'm equipped. I'm ready. I'm prepared. So bring it on. So when you're getting out, because, you know, you're active in the community, you've been out, out in the community. How has the response been? You know, people are familiar with you because you have run before. Even uh, presumably if your opponent voted in the Democratic primary, she voted for you previously when no one else stepped up to run. So... So, um, what is the reception? What's the response been from when you're eating out and engaged in the stuff in the community? Um, you know what? I am, um, one thing about me, and I think, you know, this is probably innate. You know, I feel like I'm, that's probably more so who I am, but my working in the beauty and barber industry, you, you have a level of confidence. Um, so I walk in, when I walk into a room, I understand real, real well how to, how to, how to really navigate different conversations, different people. I'm a, I'm very personable. So when I go into a room, I make it happen. Um, and I'm very intentional. So I treat people the way I want to be treated and I get a lot of respect. I think they respect me as a candidate. I think there are some whisper. The whisper campaign is happening because I'm a black woman now running in a, in this district. When I my answer to that is I was black in 2014, I was black in 2016, and I'm going to be black in 2018. <laughs> so I'm still black. So I'm the same candidate you voted for twice already. So if, if now you now they have to really take that that answer and they have to take a look at themselves and why they're feeling differently about me now. Because my challenger is is white, right, right. So this is actually something that I've been talking about. I actually I just recently talked with Eric Robertson about on my last podcast was about this notion of electability and how there seems to be a double edged sword about electability, particularly again when it comes to black candidates or 
you know, black candidates who don't necessarily toe the line or, or kiss certain rings and stuff, there seems like there's a question about whether or not that person can actually make it, you know, in their race, whether it's statewide or in a, you know, a, a house or Senate district race. And that seems to be tied to nothing more than just conjecture, um, not based on anything. Mm-hmm. You're right. And electability, you know, pe- the people will decide. And I think that things are like I noticed last night I went to an event and there's a candidate that's running um, a white woman and she has a, a piercing in her nose. And I think it's so cute because actually when my 20s, I had a piercing. So I, I could appreciate it. And then I'm from the beauty and barber industry. So we like we're artists. So everything is beautiful to us. And I'm like, if I was a black woman with a piercing, that would probably be a strike against me. <laughs> so, you know what? I think that what I'm seeing now is when you look at the candidates, if you really look at them, they don't look like what they look like previously. I think that whole you know, being suited and booted and, you know, looking a certain way. I think that is kind of out the window. I really think that, you know, Trump is really, you know, as awful as he is, him being who he is has really paved the way for those of us to to be who we are because, hell, ain't nobody going to be worse than him. (laughs) So I think that things are different. And for me, like I say, running a race, talking about race, it's different. I'm willing to figure out, I'm willing to wait and, and, and just run this race and see what happens at the end. Cause I'm going to continue to talk about the things I talk about. I'm going to continue to be the person that I am and I'm going to be black the, the whole time I'm doing it. <laughs> no. And that's the thing too, right? Like, like, like people will be like, Oh, well, race doesn't matter. Or, you know, I'm colorblind or whatever, but it, it's something that's always with us. That's a part of our experience. And and while you're definitely correct, we need to have the conversations. We need to continue to grow and engage. You know, there's still that part of kind of pushback when when we're being, you know, asked to kind of put ourselves in a shell. Like we don't exist in our entirety as 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 black people, as black women in these political spaces. But what I what I've observed from you and doing your running your campaign is that you do you have been able to, like you were just discussing, you know, build or I don't want to use the word transcend, but build a bridge, so to speak, across these difficult spaces. And it seems like when you're talking about the different sides of the district you're looking to represent, that that you've been modeling that behavior that it takes to to build between differences across your different, you know, runs and the way you continue to build community within your own space of running your campaign. And that's something that I, this is this is totally like learned behavior, because I can tell you that um, when I owned my salon, I had a predominantly white clientele. Um, I did when I when I went to nail school, just to kind of give you a funny story. When I went to nail school, I was awful at doing I'm, when I say awful, like awful at doing like acrylics and gels and wraps and all the other, you know, nail enhancements. I was it was horrible. I knew. I, I, mastered it. So you know what I said to myself? I'm going to I'm going to be great at whatever part of this industry I can be great at. So I mastered manicures and pedicures. So I had a, like this, this niche market and where I focused on just these natural services. And it was during the during the time um, when, you know, natural nails was just coming you know to light because so many people were wearing the enhancement. But, but now I was on the forefront of the natural nail industry and my clientele was predominantly white. 
because most of the women of color had enhancements and I couldn't do them. <laughs> so I learned how to um, really service these clients and and garner um, respect with them and they with me. So I learned them and they and I learned how to you know, I, I listened to them for 18 years. That was my clientele. And I listened to them and I learned them. And I understand how to do this. And I understand how to build these bridges. And I remember one of my black clients, because I had a few black clients. And one of my black clients said to me, why do those white women like you? And I remember that question kind of startled me. And I, and I said, I didn't have an answer for it. I said, I don't know. <laughs> and I never forgot that question and I never forgot my response. But now when I bring it full circle to this day in this right where I am in this season of my life, I know why. <laughs> so what are some of No, seriously, like so when you're when you're when you're envisioning yourself in the Senate come, you know, come swearing in day, you know, when you're when you're envisioning yourself in the Senate what are the, what is like some of the first actions you would like to take part in or what what do you how do you see you know your initial transition into senate life oh marijuana legislation i'm attacking it i'm attacking it not you know that's not something that's you know not many people are talking about it as aggressively as I want to talk about it. I want to talk about marijuana legislation. I want to talk about it from the medicinal standpoint. I want to make sure we do some, a lot of criminal justice reform. I want to make sure we give it back to communities that we, that we destroyed behind this. I want to make sure that we do this right. I'm actually, um, I was selected to go out to Oakland, um, the first part of April to get some training, um, because you know, California is on the forefront of all of this. So I'll be out there, um, next month. And I hope to bring a whole lot of these those policies and those ideas right back here to Georgia. That's what I'm going to do when I that and 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 voter voter issues, voter suppression and and marijuana legislation. I'm I'm going to be real radical when I come in. <laughs> he said I'll be real radical when I come in. <laughs> but marijuana, like like seriously though, marijuana as radical as it sounds. I mean, thinking about marijuana legislation and um, so are you thinking about, you know, expanding the medicinal use? Are you thinking about just full on recreation or what are you? All of it. I'll start where we start. You start where we start. Start where we start. When I say when I say radical, you got to think about this is the Bible Belt. I have an aunt um, that if you talk about like I, I actually um and she's in her 60s. And I've you mentioned to her about, you know, marijuana legislation. You know, they, they, these are church folks. They don't you know, there's a lot of black people that still don't think that they think this is an awful drug. Uh, it's, you know, for those that want to smoke it, I don't smoke marijuana. But for those that want to smoke it, if they want to drink and smoke, I don't. That's none of my business. Let them do it. It creates a brand new economy. We'll get people out of jail. I mean, it's all the, it's, it's medicinal. There's so many reasons why it's good, good legislation. We just need to get it right here in Georgia. We're just always on the tail end of everything. We are. We do seem to be. I mean, well, there really is something to say, though, right? Like like I said, like being here in Georgia now four years, my family's been here since 99. I mean, it's a beautiful state. There's some really amazing people and, you know, potential for opportunity in so many, you know, areas, 
around the metro area, around the state, et cetera. But there are so many indicators where we're near either the top if it's a bad thing or the bottom if it's something good. And it just seems like we should be trying to educate our people so that we understand these issues better and how they can improve things. Cause you know, everyone's up in arms about the opioid epidemic, for example, but we don't want to talk about the issues with, you know, pain mills and prescription pain medications and how, you know, making marijuana available uh, in some areas has already shown to have improvement in, in that respect. I mean, there's so much potential and that's just one issue, right? There's just one little slither of one issue and we look at the 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 potential for um you know you look at what's happening in colorado and places that have recreational weed i mean they're adding so much money to (laughs) to the coffers and and, and funding things for schools and all types of stuff like way better than whatever we can get from the lottery like it's 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 amazing what the potential and possibility right or casinos right it's amazing the potential that exists and i mean they're there because there are other states that have already been doing it there are templates out there of what to do and what not to do that already exists, right? That's one of the benefits of not being among the very first two. You can kind of learn, but the learning part is something that we need to be doing and willingness to take a chance. Willingness. There's your key word here in Georgia, willingness. But I think we have to remove almost half the legislators down there in order to get willingness uh, on the forefront. (laughs) That's some of the ways some of the things have been going in the Senate that definitely we definitely need more people who have the willingness to put, you know, Georgians first and, and, and forward moving thinking and action first. Um, just some of the stuff that I've been seeing, you know, this legislative cycle since I've really been like honing in a little bit more um, from I don't know, from everything from the ridiculous English only bill to. Um, the, 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 the de-annexation bills. I mean, there's, there's so much that's going through the Senate right now. Well, I mean, both, both, both houses, but really the Senate is pushing out, just turning things out. And it's just, it's so disheartening to see like kind of what's happening. And even in this age of increased engagement, we still, and I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure the reasons why, but we still have seats that are being unchallenged. We still, you know, need to continue to build the capacity. So, what do you see as you look forward, right? Thinking about your district, thinking about the state as a whole, what do you see look forward as some of the things that we need to be doing to help build that capacity where we're engaging more people to be involved so that we, we have more people representing the people's interests and not that of a select few? They need to be, they need to be open. They need to be open. They need to be a bit more welcoming. I remember going to a, um, a, a, I believe it was like a city planning meeting in one of the cities. And I asked them, um, what were they doing to engage with other cities, their neighboring cities? Like, what are, what are you doing to engage with them? And I promise you, they looked at me like, why are you here? <laughs> and why are you asking this question? And they just kind of looked around the room at each other and nobody ever answered me. Um, so I believe that it, particularly in my district, people have been, um, they've created this, their own world. And things are good for them, but things are not good around them. And I think it becomes something that, um, like I say, this new Trump administration has really made people be aware that they can't live in these silos. They can't be just all about themselves. They have to really look around and find out what's going on around them because we're more connected than we than they than we want to acknowledge a lot of times. 
Yeah, no, I think that's a really good. I think that's a really good point too. And I, like I said again, going back to what you're already modeling, because I, re- like I said, I really, I, I really appreciate folks who understand the importance of conversation and the value in honest dialogue, right? Because we have a lot of, you know, superficial interactions that happen right now, and a lot of people keeping up pretenses and smiling in your face and all that other stuff. But like, and I understand why people feel like they need to do that in this political culture, but we need to get real. Right, because we've been doing that for too long. <laughs> amen, amen. <laughs> like we've been doing that for too long, putting up pretenses and playing nice with people we don't really care for or like or whatever for whatever the reasons are. But we need to get down to the real nitty gritty of what it takes to actually govern and and represent and, and and really connect with people because like families are doing okay, but then a lot of folks who could be doing a lot better, you know, need people who are going to like be able to shoot straight from the hip and be real and not just, Oh, let's, you know, we hung out last weekend. So I'm not going to push too hard on, you know, this bill type of thing. Like we, we need that, that realness um, in people who are going to represent us. That's right. We absolutely do. And, I'm, you know, we like you said, we have to keep talking. We have to keep talking. I, I talk to everybody. My sons hate to go anywhere with me. They don't either. My oldest is 19 and my younger, he's 16. And they hate going places with me because I talk to everybody. I talk in the grocery store. I'm talking to strangers walking up on the sidewalk. I'm talking to strangers. I am. That's just my personality. I, you know, I'm. we have to keep talking. And I feel like, you know, we have more in common. If we just keep talking, it's some, it's definitely something there. Yeah. We, I mean, I know, I know you guys, you've heard me say conversation and talking. Those are like buzzwords, right. In this, in this episode, but like, you know, that, that is just so crucial and it's so important because there's so much happening. You know, a lot of stuff that we're seeing people challenging and all upset and, and angry about now, like you and I know people from marginalized communities and certain backgrounds know has been unfortunately something that has been going on in various ways for a long time. We're just now seeing an escalation and in, in a recklessness in the way this current administration at the top is doing things. And we have people within the state who are more than happy to replicate what he's doing nationally here locally. And so that is a major challenge. So it just seems like these conversations help us be on the same same page and the same side consistently. So, you know, not that people show up and like, oh, yeah, I went to a protest. But then you're still voting a certain way when it comes terms to the local community issues and whether or not we let, you know, certain certain housing be built in our area for those people. You know, like it's 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 layers to all of this. And it's not a demonizing someone who might not want subsidized housing near them, for example. But at the same time, it's helping people understand and deconstruct why that's even a problem that people who would need like affordable housing assistance living near them it was all my all my cities in my district in the in the in the north DeKalb area they they all had a um it was a chamber meeting and they asked a question to one of the cities about affordable housing and what were they doing to, to help create affordable housing in their cities because it was an opportunity for the cities to kind of learn from each other and then for us to hear the dialogue so this one particular city said, oh, we don't we don't address we're not addressing that. We're, we're we, you know, we're, we're hopeful that our property values will go up and, you know, we're building and, you know, just going on and on. And I sat there and I was thinking to myself, why does affordable housing? What does, does that why does that have to mean low income? Why does that have to mean low income? Because to me, it doesn't. It means people that as they age like an aging population, 
They need they need to be able to afford to live in their houses. Once you retire, your income is set. Can you afford to remain in your own house after you retire? It doesn't necessarily mean low income. So I think that it's a stigma that affordable housing has a stigma. It it doesn't mean it doesn't always mean that. It doesn't always mean that. And let's just be real. When we look at when we look at the facts, not to get all, you know, <laughs> on folks, but like when we look at the fact that that inflation is out in cost of living is outpacing outpacing wages. You know, we mm-hmm. used to have jobs where families could where, where where wage earners could work. You could work at a factory, you could work, you know, in manufacturing or something and make a good living livable wage to take care of your family. I mean, I know like my dad's generation talks about their parents being able to put kids through college. I mean, my dad, they grew up in the project, so it wasn't him specifically, but I know of that generation, they talk about those things. You know, a lot of us, if we're under 50, we hear stories from people about, oh, when I went to college, I was able to work at blah, blah, blah and pay my tuition. None of us can do that anymore. Like our children can't do that. I saw you had a a post about your son uh, in Morehouse earlier and just thinking about the cost of college for our kids, right? And and it's just it's a lot to take in. So we need to be working however we can to make sure families to make sure people who want to someday have families have the resources and access and potential they can, because we're not going to grow and thrive as a state if we don't have those resources and accessibility to have families, you know, thriving and being successful. Like it just Mm -hmm. won't work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's why raising the minimum the minimum wage is so important. Like you have families that are living off of minimum wages and working two two and three jobs just to make ends meet. We must do better. We must do better here in Georgia. We must do better in Georgia. And I think that you know, folks who are you know starting to pound the pavement, starting to pick up you know do volunteer work, definitely need to find a way to get in touch with you. So how can folks support you in what you are doing? You can go to my website. It's www.tamara t a m a r a four f o r Georgia spelled out dot com. I'm on social media. Um, I'm on Twitter as Tamara Tamara for Georgia. And Tamara Sheely. I'm on Instagram as Tamara Sheely. Okay. Okay. And so any final words for our listeners? Um, make it make it a point that um, primary elections are 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 near. General election is, is this coming November. I'm just hopeful that we will make it a point as a people um, to be in, be intentional about being politically engaged. I um the work that we do inside of the beauty and barber industry, that's the first part of what we do before we do anything else. We're intentional about are you registered to vote? If not, you have to register to vote. <laughs> that's not even a that's no we don't go any further until you register to vote. Um once you register to vote, then are you telling your clients? Are you, you know, are you engaging your family and friends? So we have to be intentional as a as a community and as a people with making sure that we are politically engaged. And I just encourage everybody to participate in this process because we all win when we participate. We all win when we participate. That are is such 
good parting advice awesome final words um definitely appreciate you for joining me this evening and look forward to following up with you again before before primary day so hopefully i can finally get over to your campaign office um running around with these people of mine oh my god track started so it's just like oh anyway (laughs) Uh, mom life mom life is a whole nother mom life of teens is a whole nother story but um really i really appreciate your passion and enthusiasm for this work and and for wanting to get out there and represent because it's not easy to put yourself out there the way you've been doing so i definitely um commend you and and i look forward to seeing you know more great work coming from you and seeing what happens as we move forward what, what how many what, 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 what were seven more percent Seven percent away. Seven percent. Seven (laughs) percent. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Anoa. Thank you. Night.